You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 471, try and beat Juliet in the latest 90s quiz, our football predictions for 2021, and who'd be a music critic? That's all coming up after Angie Stone and Wish I Didn't Miss You.
what they do boom boom one of my favorite examples of sampling an absolute divine track from one of the greatest voices in music number 30 in the uk and 79 on billboard in 2002 from the wonderful album mahogany soul angie stone and wish i didn't miss you I love that. I paid 99 pence for it on tape, if I remember correctly, when it came out as a single. I still got it in a shoebox somewhere. I must dig it out. I love that song. Yes, it's, uh, and the album's great as well. Welcome to this latest edition of the Parish Council. It's episode 471. I'm Terence Stackham, and although she has disappointed her fans this week with the announcement of the cancellation of her TV show, Keeping Up With The Harris, <laughs> she is here, though. It's, it's Juliet Harris. I will thank you very much. I appreciate that. Hello. Yes, I am. You can keep up with all of my movements. All you need to do is send a stamped address envelope and a 50 pence postal order to Terence, who will, I, pre- I pre- predict will pen some kind of glorious newsletter on a typewriter three times a year. Um, that That's the plan, I think, isn't it? And one of those, remember those terrible googly eyed Nash of the dog badges they used to give away with the, you know, perhaps we could make one of those with my hair rendered in some sort of cotton wool. I don't know. But anyway, uh, up to you up to you just a, i just was a... thinking you know now that you're not doing your tv show on um, the <laughs> e-network keeping up with the harris it'll give you more time to be a covid marshal oh absolutely I yes i i've been i've been gloriously and sort of giddily posting pictures of um warden hodges from uh from dad's army all week because i feel that's the sort that's a good representation of the sort of person that will feel themselves since since suitable for this role and therefore perhaps not terribly suitable i could walk outside with a bin on my head i suppose and shout but then why would that be different to any other friday indeed yes now excitement um reaching a a feverish pitch as this is the penultimate week of our run of 1990 90s based quizzes and then um, i won't know anything ever again so let's just glory uh, in this make, whilst make the best it. of it juliet yes um yet again i've tried to make the questions a little harder but we'll see if juliet just sweeps them all uh, up as usual <sighs> see see anyway see if you can beat juliet i have five people bands cultural mm. events movies whatevers of the 1990s for you to find in a who am i 1990s style mm. and you may have a maximum of three clues mm. uh, get it from the first clue three points second clue two points third clue one point so there's 15 points on offer score five you're relegated from the premiership score eight mid-table tedium Oh, yeah. I mean, as a QPR fan, that feels very much... You, you, you would know that uh, territory, yes. Uh, 12 points, Champions League qualifier. 15 mm. points, Premier League and Champions League double champ. Wow, I think that's that's uh, that's perhaps over-ambitious, but let's see how we get on. I hope I've made them hard enough this week. OK, listener, <laughs> see if you can beat Juliet. Yeah, which which uh, Polish soap opera star, indeed, yes. Yes, well, I'm thinking if you start getting all these this week, the the final week, they're just going to start with, I was born. And, and then <laughs> that, you've got to try and get it Yes, indeed. We were formed in 1990. We won Best British Dance Act at the Brits in 1997 and 98. Chemical Brothers. Oh, thank goodness. No, but a great oh, guess. Carrion. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. My plan is working. <laughs> Question two. Our current live band consists of four members, three of whom are Ollie Burden, guitar, Leo Crabtree, drums, and Maxim Reality vocals. Ah, that would be your prodigy. That's your prodigy two points. Um, 
And my last question was going to be our other member is Liam Howlett, which you wouldn't have yeah, needed. And, and indeed, uh, RIP Keith Flint, yeah, indeed. the, the, the uh, seminal front person of the prodigy and a mild man of pub owner in his uh, spare time. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Second question of the 90s culture. We come from Queens, New York City. We got together in 1985 when Kamal Farid and Malik Taylor started the group. Kamal and Malik have stage names. Beastie Boys. No, but again, a very good guess, you know, kind of sort of right line-ish. Malik is Fife Dog and Kamal is Q-Tip. Oh, man, what are they called? Um, Tribe Called Quest. Good work. Two points. Very good. They can kick it, as history taught us. That was going to be the third clue. Our biggest hit was in the UK in 1991. Can I kick it? I don't think I could name any other of their songs. I have Me too. Me, me too. I think <laughs> when I'm saying that was their biggest hit, I suspect it was largely uh, their, their, their only major hit. Question three. My television series ran on ABC from October 1988 to May 1997. Um, vanilla ice. Not so. Hmm. But again, good guess. The revival in 2018 was cancelled after our lead star made comments that ABC said were quote abhorrent, repugnant, and inconsistent with our values. Oh man, um, I'm probably going to go down to one for this because I know exactly what it was, but I can't remember. Um, oh man, uh. I don't know. David Hasselhoff. The, okay, so third question. Mm. The show is named after me and also stars John Goodman and Sarah Gilbert. Oh, Roseanne. Correct. Terrible things she said in yeah. 2018. Let's, let's not dwell on those. Let's, let's not. Just, uh, let's move on. So without her, they've gone on, they, they renamed it The Connors and it yeah. keeps being renewed. So it's there's a good work, story. I think, apparently. So, so, well, it, it was a great program initially. It was it was telling a story that not many other programs did, which is why it's such a shame that she's gone off the rails in the way that she has. But anyway, we move on. Question four. Mm-hmm. In July 1991... Journalist Linda Duff, in her splash column in the Daily Star, led with a story about my band in a shambles as singer Plavka Lonich quit. Oh, I do remember Linda Duff. She was the woman that allegedly invented new lads. Um, Yeah, according to Dave Roundtree. Um, Lush? No, no. uh, Yeah, okay. Our biggest hit, number one in the UK in 1992, was initially banned by the BBC for implied endorsement of recreational drugs. Oh, is this The Shaman? It's The Shaman. What was the song? Um, he's a good, he's a good, he's Ebenezer. He's a good, yeah. Uh, very... We had a, a, a client when I worked at a fur once that had a very similar name that sounded like that <laughs> that we used to sing. And I remember us, me and my boss, singing it once, and the trainee, being who was a pleasant young girl, being nonplussed. And we sat down and worked out that uh, she wasn't number one when she wasn't born when the single was number one which was a deep pressing oh, for everybody <laughs> involved, it has to be said. But, um, but yeah, whenever I think that, I think of us chanting this client's name to Ebenezer Good. I don't think she ever knew. She wouldn't have known who they were, I don't think. Uh, 
Well, well done for getting that one. You're on seven points so far as we come it's to the not last. Right, but it's not awful. So let's carry no, on. You're going from mid table, but heading towards the Champions League. Let's see. Final question. In 1996, filming of this movie took place in Fox Baya Studios in Rosarito, Mexico. What year did you say? 96? Yeah, 1996. Um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Nope. Oh, okay. Here's the second question for two points. An etiquette teacher taught the cast how the gentility and upper classes would have conducted themselves in 1912. Titanic. Titanic, it is two points. No, you did pretty no, well. Two, I've... four, six, eight, nine. So you're between mid-table tedium and Champions League qualifier. Very well, good. It's so, so about eighth then, we reckon, which is which is you know maybe I I, I would take my place in the Intertoto Cup next year. Who knows? <laughs> very much. They don't, obviously, they don't have it anymore. <laughs> but you know what I mean. The Europa League, <laughs> as I believe it is now. But for some of us, it will always be. You know, we'll always be winning the Rumbelows Cup will get us a place in the Intertoto Cup. My toughest stance there paid yeah. dividends, I think. Well, one could say that you hung in a buffalo stance as far as that. <laughs> you want to keep on the 90s theme. Now, the thing is, Juliet, mm. I've got some news for you here. It's not all over. Oh, I see. You say news. There is nothing new about there only being five questions, is there really? Because it's never, it's, it's there's never any five questions. It's not over. There's three bonus questions and they're all on members of 1990s girl groups. Mm, okay let's try it let's okay. give it a break. it's multiple choice in many ways it might be guesswork but you know let's have ha, let's have some roles moment, frankly let's give it a go in 1994 which member of a girl group set fire to her football player boyfriend's house and was sentenced to five years probation i mean it's well, not ideal whoever it was was it really wasn't a great move really no no Four, four um, multiple choice answers. See if you can p- pick it from these four. Cheryl Cole from Girls Aloud. Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child. Lisa Left Eye Lopez from TLC. Or Kerry Katona from Atomic Kitchen. Uh, kitchen. Atomic Kitten. <laughs> Atomic Kitchen. I was going to say, you should see some of the food that comes out of mine. It's not far <laughs> off. Um, working on the basis of firstly the timing of this and secondly which is not as good as your atomic kitchen timing that's the kind of comic timing you can't buy um it's a description of a microwave really isn't it have you got, have you got an atomic kitchen well I i've mean, got a microwave in the 50s it would have been marked the <laughs> atomic kitchen of tomorrow wouldn't it surely so also the fact that she's a bit of a one as well i'm gonna go for lisa left eye lopez oh what a great spot it was lisa left left eye lopez well done yeah she had quite an interesting life and uh which then ended rather prematurely if i if i remember yes car so, crash unfortunately very, yeah very but she um i remember admiring that we may be discussing this woman in a minute who knows but remember admiring the extreme honesty of mel c when she was she was interviewed on radio i think or tv i think it was tv um she did a song called never be the same again and they got lisa left eye lopez in to do a rap and usually all of these things are you know sort of given as oh we we really wanted to work together and we did this great duet and that uh, mel c basically sat there and went yeah we got her in to do a rap she was expensive and i remember thinking i really admire the fact that there is no pretense that that you know that it's just artistic working together she was straight up about the fact that they wanted someone to do a rap they got her and they had to pay and she was quite a lot of money yes oh good lord 
can imagine it. Now, question two, who currently combines um, membership of a girl group launched in the 1990s with a career as a community midwife for the NHS? Oh, interesting. Louise Redknapp of Eternal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not entirely convinced by the fact that you <laughs> into laughter afterwards. But anyway, carry on. Oh, oh dear, sorry, I gave that away a bit. Yes, Louise, Louise Redknapp of Eternal. <laughs> right. Um, Matt... <laughs> Mariana Goodman of Honeys, Melanie Blatt of All Saints, or Karen Poole of Alicia's Attic? I mean, aside from the fact that you just creased up when reading out Louise <laughs> <laughs> Redknapp, mostly because didn't she nearly win Strictly Come Dancing a couple of years ago? She's very much on the stage, I think. The other three are all entirely reasonable options, mm. I think. I oh whatever I say I think it's going to be wrong but I am going to have a guess at Melanie Blatt it's Mariama Goodman ah uh, yes I thought it might be her I just well, I just thought mm. Melanie Blatt was so out there that it could have been be. any of them except yeah. for Louise Redknapp really well yes as, as you made clear indeed yes. <laughs> final question in our multiple choice on 1990s girl groups in November 2013 mm. Which member of a 90s girl group had her buttock and bosom implants removed? Sorry. <laughs> now I'm laughing. If you say me, I'm coming up there to stick one of you. Carry on. <laughs> I promise you, you're not one of these four. Thank goodness. Yeah. Without parents. <laughs> Kerry Katona of well-known uh, uh, group Atomic, Atomic Kitchen. Atomic Kitchen, yeah. yeah. Mucha Buena of Sugar Babes. Mel B of the Spice Girls or Adele Lynch of Bewitched? I'm going to go for Kerry Katona. It was Mucha of Sugar Babes. I thought it would be one or the other. Indeed, yeah. Harley Street Clinic. Indeed, she also appeared. This is, uh, you know, uh, you know how I love to uh, shoehorn a local connection into anything yeah. I possibly can. I, yeah. I, I should edit my local paper, really, because we can find uh, a, this is right up there with um, <laughs> a Scottish newspaper that recently tweeted tweeted a Rangers target Leon former Rangers target Lionel Messi, and someone then replied, "Oh yeah, that Lionel Messi. I haven't worked <laughs> out who he was before you pointed that out. Uh, former star of the main stage at Hastings Pride, Matthew Buena." Ah. She appeared on the main stage last year and uh, won many friends. I, lo I love her. I love her music and great. I like her as a person. I think she's great. So a song for Matya by uh, by Groover Marder is one of Absolutely the best guest, guest spots of the last few years, the last couple of years, a couple of decades. I think it's great. Well, um, I hope that Matya is living a living a happier <laughs> life. With, she says she is. She says it's uh, yes, it's life is is more, less stressful without these uh, additions. Well, yes, fair enough. I mean, you know, it, it must be difficult to sit on trains. I mean, let's, let's perhaps let's not interrogate this. Well, too you'd much. be tipping no. one way or the other, wouldn't you? Every time you stood up, you'd, you, you know, you wouldn't know which, you know, you just would tip forward, tip back. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how well riding pillion on a motorbike would go for her. So, so I'm just glad that she can live a fuller life again. Well, I say a fuller life, a less full. You know what I mean? A less. Full, I, yeah. Life. Yes, an less easier life. Yeah. Yes. Coming up are always 100% accurate football predictions. Oh, yeah, for the... Indeed. Yes. Get all your money. Don't get all your money. And uh, don't put it on our predictions. For the new Premier League season. That's right. After the, that's, that's right. After this most extraordinary cover of a psychedelic rock track you'll ever hear. Uh, just for the lols. I won't say who it is. Mm. And, and Juliet will tell you in a few minutes. It's getting it done. 
to say that's that's slightly unexpected is is one way of putting it um you you, uh, you you might who knows if you're very clever you might recognize the uh the side people on that who are uh herney Honey Heckscher and uh, his big band and also um, also a Tommy Flanagan. The singist is Ella Fitzgerald, Wonderful. which is unexpected, but it's glorious, isn't it? As you say, a great soul version of a, of a psychedelic classic, which didn't come out very long after the original did. It was, it was still within the 60s, so it was, mm. quite, um, it was quite current. It was that kind of proper American soul that they used to do where someone would release a, a song that everyone really liked and people would literally, it would seem, learn to play it off the radio and then they, they'd rush it out within a few months. So I don't know if the same happened there. But anyway, um, she had a really great late period, Ella Fitzgerald, which doesn't often get talked about, but she did a, a couple of pop albums later on in the day that were really great because she was singing songs that really you wouldn't have expected Ella Fitzgerald to sing in a million years and, and had evidently having a ball doing them. She had a great version of get ready by the temptations which i think we've played before as well and i think she did got to get you into my life as well she's a norwegian wood possibly she certainly had a run at a few things and i think that is such a, a brassy version and, and a, a great vocal and it genuinely it does make me feel really sunny in these last vestiges of what's passed for our summer season so that is ella fitzgerald and uh, and co and that is sunshine of your love she was 51 when she recorded that live at the exotically named Venetian Room at the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And of course, 51 is young now, but as you allude to, I, I, it must have alienated so many of her uh, usual listeners in 1968. It was recorded in 68, uh, released in 69. And those that were used to the sort of big swing band sort of ballads and all that sort of thing, it must have been amazing. And it must have been astonishing to have been in the crowd. Um, I'd loved to, to be a fly on the wall. And uh, out she comes with a you know this big orchestra and then suddenly belts into cream covers. It was the most extraordinary thing. Yeah, I think... I think I would have found that quite entertaining. It must have been, like you say, it's strange, isn't it? But I think it, certainly it feels like pop culture's moved at a, I say a slower pace. I know this sounds a mm. bit strange, but there feels to me to be less of a gap between what happened but certainly alternative music wise I don't think there's a huge gap between some of the music that was being made in the 80s like like Joy Division and The Cure and The Smiths and things like that and what is necessarily being made on the alternative scene now I think I don't think there's but there's that much of a gap yet if you were to spool back 30 years from 1967 that takes you back to the world of big band orchestras doesn't it mm. it, it seems that it, it, there seem to the 60s seem to be and we've talked about it loads before and I suspect we'll do again the 60s just seemed to be such a year zero in terms of pop music. It was just, you know, the idea of the Beatles and all that kind of stuff that just cha- and rock and roll just changing everything forever, it would seem. That even though Ella Fitzgerald was only 51, I mean, put it this way, all of the Stone Roses are 51 now or, or older than that, aren't they? It's not mm. unusual for pop music people to be a bit older nowadays, I don't think. But in those days, 51... In the modern 60s pop scene, 51. Oh, you are past it. Yeah, it must have seemed Asian. You know, the idea that she was probably born between at least one, if not two, world wars. The idea that, you know, she used to she used to sing with orchestras. I mean, that must have felt a million miles away. So that's what I, what I love about it. The fact that, like you say, it is so out there. The fact that, you know, that, that she really... 
when I say she had no business to be doing it, it was just so out, out. She was just so, it was so out of her world and vice versa, wasn't it? Yeah, it really works. It's so great. And, and, and it's all of those records that she made that I've heard. It just sounds like she just went for it. And that's the way you've got to do those things. You can't go into those things being a bit nervous or sounding a bit self-conscious. She performed it like she performed any music. She was a performer and a show, showbiz person and as well as being a brilliant jazz singer. And she just went out there and did it. And it's great. And it, I mean, what a voice. And to come off the basically singing on street corners mm. in Harlem, she had a terrible childhood with uh, yeah. some issues that one could only imagine involving a stepfather and so on. And and then, you know, basically almost living on the streets uh, mm. in in her in her teens and then also the the terrible indignity of the racism that she suffered in her early yeah. career she was turfed off a plane she had first class tickets and they didn't believe that this black woman could possibly have a first class ticket and tossed her off the plane well, the, for the first um yeah. almost decade of her recording career the record company i think it was rca but forgive me if i'm wrong wouldn't put her face on the cover because they thought that people wouldn't buy the records because <laughs> she's got a you know she had a especially in her younger days she had a um she didn't sound like a uh, a traditional black woman's Hi. um big band voice and the record company didn't put a picture on the cover because they thought that you know that all the white people wouldn't buy it it's extraordinary really but it it says a lot i think if this story is true i really hope it's not one of those kind of urban legends thing um Marilyn Monroe, who is often written up as this kind of tragic slash, you know, somewhat promiscuous figure, um, was a great friend of Ella Fitzgerald. And apparently their friendship was born out of the fact that um, Macambo in Hollywood refused to let Ella Fitzgerald play because of her race. And so Marilyn Monroe got round this by uh, booking the front row out for um weeks on end and her and her friends would all go and watch Ella Fitzgerald and because Marilyn Monroe and her friends went everybody else did and they were lifelong friends after that mm, apparently. and I think that says so much about Marilyn Monroe that you know that's that's allyship I think when we've talked previously and in recent weeks around sort of Black Lives Matter and that sort of thing allyship isn't just you know as it would be now tweeting or, or you know, p- putting your picture black or that sort of thing. Allyship is, is showing up and doing mm. something that counts. And Marilyn Monroe used her privilege to do something that really counted. And I think in in its own little way, changed the world and certainly changed the world of music. So fair play, Marilyn Monroe. Absolutely. Now, for years and years, we have given our tip top predictions for the coming <laughs> football season. But yeah, again, I can't get to that end of that sentence without that. Then at the end, brought you, yes. At the end of that season, we look back and reflect in the glory of those predictions and how astonishingly um, accurate we were. Mm. Um, actually, we try and gloss over our usually poor record. But here we are I again, Jules. I find, I find mine funny. You try and you try and retain a sense of dignity. That's not something that ever crosses my mind. So anyway, we carry on. Normally, we run our predictions in early august but uh, these these are not normal times of course yeah now you can play along with us at home and check yes, out if yes uh, check out if you perform better with your predictions uh pretty it's pretty likely uh, as the season unravels i was going to say it's a fairly it's a fairly low bar it has to be said we have specific categories we have winners of the championship mm. first premier league manager to be sacked surprise side in the premier league the bottom three teams and the top four teams and i should say that neither juliet nor i know 
each other's uh, predictions before we say them. We've no, yeah. uh, we haven't uh, conversed or communicated about this beforehand. Um, I feel this is the most difficult season we've ever tried to uh, predict. Anything could happen, including, yeah. sadly, that the season doesn't draw to a natural end at all. But well, let's hope right. that doesn't. No, let's not dwell on that. Let's try and deal with the the, the hand that we've been sort of dealt with. Who do you have? as winners of the championship and your first Premier League sacking? Uh, so I think that the first, I think that the winner of the championship, um, I'm going to try Middlesbrough. Um, I am going to try Middlesbrough. OK, I'm writing these down, of course. What uh, Middlesbrough, it's a sort of sleeping giant, really. Yeah, aren't they? and they've got Neil Warnock and, you know, I'd never bet against him to do to do something interesting. So let's let's try Middlesbrough and see how they get on. OK, and then moving now into the Premier League, who's going to be first to, to be shown the door? Well, you've got, I mean, good, you've got a good record on this, if I remember correctly. I mean, isn't it funny that I I seem, I'm, I feel quite sad that I'm good at predicting people's misfortunes. <laughs> that makes me feel very unhappy. I must admit, I am. I'm terribly sorry. I think the first person to be sat will be Dean Smith of Aston Villa. Oh yes, yeah, okay. That's I, 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 to say I predict doom for Aston Villa all round. Yeah. So, so I think that it's likely that he's he's first to go. The the other person possibly being the Fulham guy, but I'm going to stick with Dean Smith. Oh, Scott Parker. Yes, okay. Well, I think they're they're both uh, very reasonable. I think Dean Smith is yeah. is, a, is a good bit. Uh, for, sentimentality leads me to choose Brentford as uh, yes. championship winners. Only just missed out on promotion last season. Brand new stadium. And I used to go and watch them as a young boy when Chelsea played away. Mm. And I've got a sort of uh, a kind of warm feeling towards Brentford. And, you know, they, as I say, they only just missed out into the playoffs last year. So Brentford for me, first sacking. I thought a lot about this, but I've gone for David Moyes of West Ham. Mm, it's plausible. If they get off to a bad start, the fans will do their usual thing at West Ham and, and rebel. They, they, the, the board are notoriously twitchy there and yes, some would say are. inept. Mm. Um, so I'm saying out the door for Moisey. My each way bet, um, like you had Scott Parker, I've got Paul Slavin Bilic at West Brom. I oh, think I like him, but yes, that. I suspect that might also be tricky. Your surprise side in the Premier League this season and also the poor souls, the bottom three who will be relegated. Well, I think I said Wolves last year, and I'm I I think that as they did so well that you could possibly put them beyond surprise side this year and say that they're in with a shout at the top six, which I think they are. Um, I think I'm going to have a, a a punt on Southampton this year. Okay, that now that's very um that's very brave because hmm. um. They they finished in the in the sort of middle uh, spell, but they have got a good man middle area last season. Very good manager, I think it's very highly thought of down there. Um, Ward Prowse was picked for England uh, this week. I think they've got um they 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 ended very strongly. Mm. I think. So um so so I, I can okay. see uh, I can see them. Uh, I can see them getting within a shout of the top six before, you know, tailing off. Sorry, that yeah. people do. But um, I like the manager. Um, they, I think, I think the relegation scare probably did them the world of good. I think in terms of shaking them up. Mm. Um, I, um, I, who knows? I, I think that Ralph, Big Ralph, might do a Jurgen possibly. Who knows? We'll see. 
What about your bottom uh, three, the, the three that will go down? Well, um, I'm afraid I am going to predict doom for Aston Villa, I must admit. I, I, Are they I, bottom or 18th? Let's... <sighs> What, let's let's put them 18th i think okay villa at 18th but yeah because I, I think they'll probably ditch dean smith yeah. and they might get they might get hold of someone who knows what the merry-go-round will do but you know who knows maybe west ham maybe west ham will sack Moyes. uh aston villa will sack dean smith uh aston villa will pick up Moyes in desperation and he might just beat them up possibly <laughs> I, I could see that as a sequence of events that could be plausible yeah I, I think Aston Villa might be gone I must admit um in 19th place I think poor Fulham aren't looking too great I must admit and I and I I, I really like Scott Parker but I've got a horrible feeling they're going to get found out mm-hmm. I don't I don't I'm not filled I mean I really like Fulham I used to share an office with the world's loveliest man who was so sweet and he was a Fulham fan and it makes me slightly teary to think that I'm upsetting poor Graham by uh, surely by... you share a podcast with the world's loveliest man the world's loveliest man that I've worked in an office with oh we? okay right. yeah because we've never worked in an office which no. we must do something about at some point <laughs> it's time for no one to work in offices anymore but the world's loveliest man who I worked in an office <laughs> with um you see <laughs> you're you're I, I love how you know you, you you're so easy to put everything aside and to not not let everything be about you that's one of the the, the great oh, no, things no. i admire about you constantly the reason that i always think of graham is that mm. this was an office that wasn't very happy to work in and we shared a a, a room that was literally a cupboard under the stairs it was <laughs> the boot room because we were the only people that liked football and it was that year that fulham had that magnificent europe um europe oh, Cup run yes final and he went to every single european game as a result of which ran out of annual leave by about the quarterfinals and was traveling through the night to come back to work through play from europe and we used to fashion this system whereby he would sit furthest away from the door and if i heard someone coming down the stairs because he would have never what he'd happen is he'd be all right in the morning and then he'd eat his sandwich at lunchtime and he would fall asleep sat upright with his mouse in his hand at the laptop and i would hear someone coming down the stairs and I would throw a, a rolled up ball of paper at his chest across the room, which would then wake him up and then someone would come in and, and, and it would be all right. So I always think of, of Graham's magnificent, um, magnificently irresponsible kind of travelling uh, during that time. But I, I just I just think Fulham are going to be underpowered. I just I just don't think they're going to quite make it. I must admit, I think I think under Scott Parker, they will probably play very nice football. I can sense that happening. But um I think it might be a sort of a, I think it might be a Hurlick Kevin Keegan thing where it all comes apart. Who's going to be rock bottom then? Um, in in keeping with your each way bet on poor old Slaven, I think West Brom are going to get flattened this season. Interestingly, enough, pretty well, which means that they'll they'll qualify for Europe probably. But that is my feeling. Interestingly enough, we've throw, we've chosen exactly the same three teams, but Have not. Uh, I've got the order switched, but I'll yeah, come back right. to that in a minute. My surprise side is Everton. Some handy signings okay. in the summer, including good loan signings, and um, they've bought uh, James Rodriguez, and it'd be fascinating to see how he does in England. He's nearly come uh, to different sides over the last two or three years from. Madrid and Everton have got top manager in Carlo Ancelotti. Chelsea were crazy to sack him mm, about 10 absolutely. years ago. So Everton for me. Bottom three, just um, slightly different order. 18th, just like you, 
Aston Villa only just avoided the drop last year. Nothing to suggest anything but a struggle for them. No. 19th, I've got West Bromwich Albion. Perennial ups and downs from the top league. You know, they're too good for the championship. They're not good enough for the Premier League. such a yo-yo team. There's a, there's yeah. a league of about seven or eight teams that just need to be in this holding league. And West Brom is one of them. Norwich are another, you know, yeah. teams like that that just spend their whole life shuttling up and down. Cardiff, Swansea, the same sort of yeah. thing, yeah. Um, and yeah. 20th Fulham, it's hard to see them getting... I can't see them gaining more than about, I don't know, 20 points next year, straight back down for the Cottagers. Um, and I've just got sort of a each way bit fellow strugglers at the bottom, um, but just surviving Brighton and, and West Ham. I, I knew you were going to rag on my Brighton. Poor old Brighton. Uh, I hope they don't. I, I've got a yeah. real love of Brighton, well, until they sacked Chris Hewton. Yes, but, they did, uh, did, unfortunately, I'm afraid to say, work out eventually but I still yeah. think the manner in which they did it was shabby I don't I don't disagree with you but um yeah I I mean I did Amanar about Brighton I think there'll be another slightly miserable season finishing 16th but but yes I think I, they might not they might not start by very much but I think we'll do it again finally the top four in order please oh from from four to one four to one please okay now interestingly I am going to pick your Chelsea at number four okay um I was reading the predictions in, in considering my own predictions. I like to, I like to test the water, test the, take the temperature of the feeding out there. And I had a look at the footballfaithful.com and they do some, some really interesting categories compared to us. They do, they do our ones, but they also do things like, um, uh, player of the season. They asked to predict a player oh, of the yeah. season. Most of them said Fernandez, which probably seems spot on, I would think. Best transfer signing. And virtually all of them have said Timo Werner for Chelsea. Oh, okay. Um, biggest transfer flock. Uh, they don't feel that Thiago Silva is going to work out for you very much. <laughs> okay. Also, someone said James Rodriguez, Everton. Nothing ever works out for Everton, does it? So I suspect that their prediction doesn't quite match yours there. Mm. Um, uh, uh, most improved player. Um, biggest fall from grace. Um, various predictions. Uh, Sheffield United being one of them. Mm. Um, breakout star. They predicted Ben White from Brighton, interestingly. Um, okay. But um, and then they, they, then the sort of standard things like top four surprise package. Most of them said Southampton, interestingly as mm. well. Um, but they have said manager first manager to get the sack. They asked six people mm-hmm. to predict. Uh, two people said Moyes. Mm-hmm. Two people said Stavon Biddick. Two yeah. people said Frank Lampard, interestingly, <laughs> on the mm-hmm. basis of that, um, that he has spent so much money that it is possibly spend or bust for him. And if it doesn't go well early on, um, they, yeah. they might get rid of him. But having said that, my view is is that I think that they've that they've spent well, mm. and I, I I I still don't buy Chelsea. I'm afraid to say as a as a as a championship as a Premier League winning side at the moment. Mm. But I do think they're handy enough. I think Arsenal, the wheels have completely fallen off there. Um, Tottenham again, unfortunately, seem to who are our previous sort of top four seem to have slightly run out of steam. So so I would say Chelsea is number four. Um, number three, I think largely depends what happens in the transfer market, but I'm going to say Manchester City. Okay. Um, I think, I think they've peaked for a bit. And then, and of course, now I say this, that, you know, they will win by 25 points. (laughs) But it feels to me like they might have peaked. Second place after after their sort of run at the end of the season and and the suddenness with which they seem to have kind of fallen in, 
I think Manchester United might kick on for a better run. So I'm going to say that Ole is going to take them to second. Right. And uh, I think that the winners will once again be Liverpool. So let me just see. We've got, yes, again, we've got the same four sides here. Oh, no. But I have them in different, I've got them in a different order. Oh, I'd be interested to hear that. So give it a go. Okay, I've, I've got Man United in fourth place. Um, not much confidence, but so many great players. They mm-hmm. they just must be better than the rest just below them, I think. So yeah. um, whether they'll do as well as you think. Third place, I agree with you, Manchester City. I thought Pep Guardiola, he looked increasingly disconsolate. Um, didn't he, I thought, yeah. I wonder whether will he last the season. I don't know. Some wonderful players, but still some weak areas. Second, with uh, probably overplaced optimism, my Chelsea. Yeah, um, but then I can, you know, they're your team. You're, hmm. you're allowed to bump them up a bit, I think. That's based on us getting a new goalkeeper, which as we record this yeah. on the Friday, the uh, 11th of September, um, we seem to be very close to buying um, uh, Edouard Mendy from um, France. Which I if we get him, other, if, if not, all bets are off if we're keeping Kepa. But um, yeah, we've got incredible attracting, uh, attacking sorry, options. Hmm. Um, just hope that the defence is tighter this year. Should be fun to watch Chelsea, I think. Yeah, I hope so. And, I, and actually, for all that I've kind of said that, you know, people think Frank Lampard might be in danger if it all goes wrong. I really like Frank. I think he's done a good job at Chelsea. I think he's 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 not. Uh, I think he, unlike sort of Shearer, who became his boy home, you know, boyhood uh, club mm. manager with you know with great fanfare and then slunk off. Yes, disastrously. Yes. yes, Frank Lampard quite quietly got on with it. I think, and mm-hmm. I I admire the kind of the sort of no-nonsense way that he approached it, really. I, I, And, of course, advantageously, he'd had a good run at Derby beforehand, so he'd kind of done his apprenticeship elsewhere. So, no, I like him, and I, I want him to do well. He's not quite my Jurgen Klopp, I'm afraid, but I do like him. <laughs> I think he is good. Speaking of your Jurgen Klopp, first yeah. place, I, I will put Liverpool. Retaining the title, it's hellishly difficult. It and I, I think Liverpool looked very tired only a few weeks ago as the season ran down. Once they achieved it, um, then th- th- yes. they sort of seemed to stop trying. And I think I remember quoting this um, at the end of last season. I always remember John Terry saying, because he's won the Premiership a few uh-huh. times at Chelsea, that the next season it is so hard to get that motivation back up to that hungry level that you yeah. need uh, week in week out however having said that i'm not 100 percent convinced but they still look on paper better than any other team um in the division it, so that's it isn't it really well i think that's the word isn't it they look like a team i think more than more than yeah. than, than any of the of the teams we've chosen they seem like a team. I mean, if I really wanted to do top bands on this podcast, I mean, you know, lo- lo- regular listeners will know that I'm occasionally committed to winding up people. Um, you know how I think the wheels come off at Arsenal? Mm. They wouldn't get relegated, would they? Gosh, <laughs> God, I, I can't imagine it because I, I, I just can't imagine them ever being worse than Villa, Fulham, or West Brom. Well, um, they'd have too no. far to fall, wouldn't yeah. they? But, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was a a David Moyes style disaster when he was at Manchester United. It's I don't know, but um, I don't think that they wouldn't get relegated. I mean, they simply have too far to fall, don't they? I think that's that's think the so. thing. But but if there is going to be some terrible disaster, of course, now we've said this, Arsenal will win by miles. But but there's there you know there's some I can just sense it's just gone wrong at Arsenal. I think I can't explain yeah. why it's just not good at the moment, and and I don't know how what's going to change that. 
And they only seem to have bought in the last um, nine months to a year um, ex-Chelsea players who are in their mid-thirties. So um, that, that seems a strange... talent, have they, really? No, it's a strange it's, strategy. It's, it's what, I mean, Arteta's bought what he knows, hasn't he, really? And that, yeah, seems, possibly it, so. that seems to be where, where we are. So, so watch this space on Arsenal. I'd be interested to see. Coming next, who on earth would be a music critic? <laughs> That's next after this wonderful track from the Explorers Club. How's your day been? Are you driving? Wish we could ride together. Call you up cause you're hiding. There's no reason you should be. Turn to listen to this band time and time again. If you love the Beatles, the Birds, Mamas and Papas, the Beach Boys, I so recommend them. A single taken from their 2016 album Together, The Explorers Club and California's Calling Ya. I really like that. I hadn't heard it before and it's lovely. I will definitely investigate them more this week, I think. Mm. Now, it wasn't all that long ago um, that if a paper or magazine published a critical review of a pop singer or band, the worst repercussions might be that the more committed fans might take up a pen and write a strongly worded letter to the editor for inclusion in the page devoted to readers' letters. Dear sir, despite your unfair review, I think you'll find that Cliff Richard has been delighting his fans for decades now, that that mm. sort of thing. But that took effort, and only the most devoted would bother to get a pen, paper, envelope, stamp, and then toddle along to a post box, waiting them for a week or more to see if their letter was published. 
Now, of course, in an instant, fans can post their immediate responses to websites or more personally to the critics' social media. And Jules, you've been checking out how some of the more excitable fans take this to extremes. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Um, so there's been some quite interesting, uh, interesting behaviour going on online, as indeed there always seems to be nowadays. Um, and let me introduce you to the expression stan. Are you familiar with to what to what stanning someone means? Yes, it's a cross, um, sadly, between stalker and fan, isn't it? And it derives from um, Eminem, uh, yeah, that you Eminem are, track. You're so, you're so across things. I'm on top of it, Jules. Absolutely. Yeah. An overzealous or obsessive fan of a particular celebrity. We stan, as people say. Well, there's quite a lot of standing going on. Let me... Um, uh, let me uh, 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 I'll uh, defer to my, uh, my, I say my colleague we never met, Ben Beaumont-Thomas, who's written a good piece um, last month in the Guardian music section, um, talking about uh, the album rating system at Pitchfork, which is a US online, I think it's just an online publication. Um, he describes it, rightly so, I think, as the, one of the most silly and nerdy things in music journalism. Um, it, Pitchfork gives decimal point ratings. So, okay. so, um, so lots of papers will give like the Guardian itself will give you one, two, three, four, five stars, and you know, general rule of fun. Five is an all-time classic. Four is really very good indeed, and you should probably listen to it. Three is well, it's pretty good. If you're a fan, then you'll probably enjoy it. Two is mm, a bit disappointing, and one is a horrendous. Please avoid. So, so that's gradually also the thing. Decimal points are obviously quite nerdy. So, uh, you know, how does one distinguish between, you know, a 5.5 and a 6.1? You know, what is what is the level of detail? They've used 0.0 before as a cruel joke. Um, yeah. Only um, two ten perfect tens owned uh, in the last decade. Who do you think got those perfect tens from Pitchfork? Perfect tens in the last decade? Yeah. One is, one is a a 90s a sort of female singer songwriter who had a slightly unexpected renaissance the other is a very big rap star oh lord um uh, 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 madonna and uh, kanye kanye's correct yep he got 10.10 fiona apple got 10 oh not for that awful album from last year i hope she isn't listening but my god the most most t- um, most troublesome album to listen to Fetch that someone recommended to me and I, yes. I just couldn't An bear it. masterpiece unbound a wild symphony of the everyday new no music has ever sounded like it 10 out of 10 from pitchfork oh, so goodness. so i sense then that you might have more sympathy with the fans here than you might do with pitchfork itself yeah, uh, so sure. So um, Taylor Swift, in the middle of, of lockdown hell, surprise released an album at the end of July called Folklore, which okay. unusually for Taylor Swift and seen as a firstly a country music star and then a sort of a real pop kind of, you know, sort of real proper pure pop that you could bang your head against, released an album that probably owed more to Joni Mitchell than it did to anybody else. A very nice, I, I really rather like it, acoustic sort of record, lots okay. of woodlands on the on the album. Oh, bon Iver made an appearance unexpectedly. Um, uh, it, was, it got very well. It was released to an array of high scores, five stars in The Guardian, uh, Metacritic, which is the website that, that collates all of the scores from all of the different websites, put it into the mid-90s. Um, however, 
the Metacritic score was dragged down because Pitchfork gave it an 8.0, which to you and me, if I released an album that got an 8, yeah, eight Pitchfork, that's good. I'd be pretty pleased. Yeah, I'm in I mean, Pitchfork. you got that in the, you know, you, you thought if you got that in the quiz, you'd be happy. Exactly. Let alone on Pitchfork. Maybe you should yeah. write quizzes to Pitchfork. That would be my dream. <laughs> but anyway, that, that, that rogue 8 from Pitchfork oh. dragged Taylor Swift's Metacritic score down into 89 out of the 90s, which clearly was a huge catastrophe um uh, um the author of um the new york times is was described as semi sniffy review jo- this poor old john caramanica had thousands of people in his twitter mentions um posted images of swift doctored to make her look like a terrifying witch along with hexes spelled out in runes tra- tra- translated by google red and oh, this is a this is a catchy logo for your fan club, isn't it, Terence? Anyone who comes after the Dark Queen will die alone and burn forever. Oh my so, God, these people go so far. No, so send off your 50p postal order for that one. But anyway, um, it's this is the what's described as dark flamboyant humour. That's quite dark and not very flamboyant for me, I have to no. say. The Stan culture, um, and in this case, they say quite funny. Well, presumably, however, it does get more. Um, Intense. Another attack on Gillian Mapes, who was the poor unfortunate woman that reviewed it for Pitchfork and gave it the 8.0. Um, she said, contact info both old and current was leaked down to a photograph of my house. Oh my I've got too many emails saying some version of you're an ugly fat word for a female dog who is clearly jealous of taylor swift please die um it sucks to be scared for every person milling about outside your house or feel like you can't answer the phone she said her only overwhelmingly positive review nevertheless tarnished the numerical perfection conferred by metacritic and this is really interesting isn't it so she gave a good review of an album that mm. Eight out of ten, but because every other review was superlative, and maybe now I have this debate with my best friend a lot of the time. This is very interesting. He feels I am over generous with praise, and that when it comes to rating things, and I feel he is insanely fussy that when we go to restaurants, his rating system is he will only give something a ten if he feels it is the best example of that genre he has experienced. So mm-hmm. so he will give a burger a 10 if it is the nicest burger he's ever eaten. Although, as I pointed out to him, he won't know what the nicest burger is he's eaten <laughs> to the end of his life when he can then look back on all, the, if he has time, look back on all of the burgers he has eaten, which he does admit that's true. Hence why he'll only give one 9.9, I think. But um, his view is, is that you start anything off on a five and then you, you pull it up or push it down depending upon what happens. So he is very clear so he probably would have given that album an eight if that whereas mm-hmm. i am quite willing to give things an eight or a nine if i've enjoyed it simply because i'm in the moment man so so maybe the problem was there not this woman's review maybe everybody else was a bit excitable with it i don't know but um well, I, what i can't understand is why do pop music fans get this this so aerated because we were you talking about food there i mean imagine if um you 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 or i gave a a, a kind of eight out of ten ish style review to to a restaurant on TripAdvisor, and as a result everybody else who ever ate there came after us and was publishing photos of our homes and saying die now die i mean it, wonder, wonder why on earth pop music and i should think taylor swift would be absolutely alarmed herself to mm. think that people were doing this in her name why does it generate such 
awful, awful reactions. Well, it's interesting. And he, he, Ben goes on to talk in this article, and I think that's a really good point. He goes on to talk about um, this is horrible anti-artistic behaviour from people wanting total consensus. This would be a strange and damaging thing to want even in politics, where some degree of consensus is necessary to make a democracy run. In art, though, this impulse is downright fascistic. Well, it's interesting that he says that because it seems like politically both here in the UK and in the States, our increase and in lots of places, our increasingly dominant figures politically are just that, are dominant figures, are people that, that, are, that are not very keen on having debate, that take actions that are at the most extreme end of the scale, that aren't looking to achieve a consensus themselves. In the case of Dominic, uh, uh, Donald Trump, no one can nearly call him Dominic Trump, then got super many <laughs> angles. But yes, Donald Trump, you know, Boris Johnson and the, the crash course with the EU over here, Vladimir Putin, you know, or there are all sorts of figures, the problems in Belarus. Maybe maybe we're living in an age where people don't want to compromise and want things in their purest form. And, and he goes on to say, and I think this is quite a good comparison, um, these attacks are provoked by the absolutism of Stan culture. Stans have a devotion to their stars that is truly religious, and like other religions, their faith can be a powerful framework for self-definition and focusing beliefs. It's kind of gone beyond liking someone's records or even admiring their art or them as a person like you do you would do Todd Rundgren like I would do PJ Harvey for for example and he says um um being a fan means being part of a community of like-minded disciples that you may have struggled to find before and that is intensely meaningful maybe online fan communities are in, are insanely strong now they 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 go far beyond what we would have necessarily known by by you know meeting friends and music even me meeting people on internet message boards when i was younger you know the the the, the intensity of this maybe as as life moves online even pre-pandemic but maybe the pandemic has sped that up young people are more likely to engage with other people online particularly if they're not going to school and, and not be able to meet people in social arenas i don't know but um he also said, points out actually ironically that the backdrop to it is that actually album reviews are less important than ever before i mean in the past if you wanted to know if a cd was good enough to spend 16 quid on it which was a lot of money in the 1990s <laughs> has to be said um you know reviews were helpful and i think we talked about music mm. music press previously now anyone can hear it on a streaming service and judge and judge for themselves so actually um it says here the review exists purely for deep critical analysis which is frankly a niche interest i mean that hurts but it's true the -hmm. audience particularly for the essayist reviews at pitchfork because pitchfork's reviews are not like the sort of 50 words and stars at the bottom that you and i might read in in broadsheet newspapers they Mm -hmm. are often long and ponderous frankly even if they are good and so it says for the essayist reviews they're mostly hardcore music fans unpacking meaning rather than ordinary people working out if it's any good and those fans now often vociferously fight back and it's interesting what you say about taylor swift being horrified not Mm. all artists take that uh take that that approach lizzo and halsey both publicly confronting a reviewer over her reviews of their respective latest albums or personally on a pragmatic basis that's not a way to to guarantee yourself a good review of the next one is it really so so it's it's very strange there's some interesting points to think around this i think in terms of you know of the intensity of this and and whether or not people are now using this as a way of of replacing communities replacing religion maybe replacing identity and 
you know, in a time where we all seem to have too much time on our hands and not enough people there, maybe this is starting to express itself in slightly strange ways. I don't know. I mean, fan communities can be incredibly empowering and an incredibly good thing. But knowing someone, a friend of mine made a documentary about a music fandom that then resulted in her receiving death threats. It's very, it's very difficult. It's, it's, it seems, it seems to have gone beyond. I mean, when people talked about Beatlemania in the past, I don't think they ever really threatened to kill anybody, did they, those girls? I don't think, I don't think they were ever really quite as angry towards critics as these people are now. It's very strange. Well, a curiosity is this um, form of extreme abuse of writers and critics. It happens in other spheres too in music. A friend of mine who writes about classical music a few few years ago, he wrote a piece um, praising the singer Catherine Jenkins Mm. and her way of crossing over boundaries to get more people interested in classical music. Well, it turns out there are classical music fans who have this sort of hatred of Catherine Jenkins and feel... Yeah, they feel she's a sort of upstart, a fake, who's destroying the history and pomp of classics and all that sort of thing. Now, one woman has continued her campaign and still will occasionally pop up and send aggressive uh, messages purely built on (laughs) her negative feelings about Catherine Jenkins. And in fact, if you're interested in looking at, you know, after the podcast, uh, anybody listening, a bit more about that. You only need to Google Catherine Jenkins and Geraldine, for that is her name, oh, uh, the, the awful uh, person you know going nuts about her, um, to find out more. So uh, you know, it's not just not just in in pop music. So yeah, uh, going back to the beginning, who indeed would be a music critic in the current era? Yeah, it it seems. Well, yeah, put it, yeah, it, it, I mean, I don't have something sympathy for people that will write, for example, naught point naught reviews, and then uh, and then wonder, you know, that there are some reviewers who, when you read their reviews, you think, you know, why have you, why have you written that, really? What is the point? It does seem to be a bit, a bit ridiculous. But it's uh, it's getting it out of context, Jules, and yeah. over amplifying the reaction because yeah, agree, at yeah. the end of the day, uh, a eight point or naught point naught review in pitchfork is so negligible in the great scheme of life in 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 the great swirl of of, uh, existence in which we in which we currently reside it's so down the list of important things so i agree it's so aerated about it maybe because like we were saying for some of these younger pop fans there isn't a lot else in their world maybe maybe that's it but i'm I'm not saying that it's proportionate (laughs) Well, thanks as ever for listening and um, hopefully not in groups of more than six people. Or, and, or in separate households or, yeah. or only on a Wednesday. Oh, I'm so confused, Terence. I just, yeah, I, I know. I, I can't I follow just, it. I, I, I've made life a bit, I mean, put it this way. We were very, very pleased that this time last week we managed to sneak to sneak in my, my brief birthday gathering of a few people just before it then became impossible again. So uh, so that made us more grateful, I think, than, than ever before. But yes, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, as long as you're listening safely in your house, in a house that you're bubbled with, that's what we're in for. Thank you, guys. And thanks also to Hilly and Rona. Yes, now, waves from this end. Thanks, chaps. Just um, thinking, George, and many people would be um, asking this of themselves as well. Where might it be possible to hear more of your lovely voice and your marvellous taste in music, which no doubt includes Atomic Kitchen? 
<laughs> I'm now thinking of some kind of kitchens of distinction that atomic roosters would have mash up. If I could come up with that for next week, I don't know. I, I nothing we will. I mean, the, the fortunately podcast that I listen to, they always call each episode a different title each week, and they take a snippet from something that one of them said, and they decide that that's the name of it. I think this week's podcast would definitely be called Atomic Kitchen if that's what we did for ours. I think that was that was your most bon of mo's. I think. But, um, you're kind to say so. I do a little thing on my Mixler channel. If you go to Mixler.com, so M-I-X-L-R, much like Tumblr, Grindr, all that sort of thing, the, the vows are released. So it's Mixler.com. Uh, uh, search my name on there and you can find my channel. And on that, uh, you can listen to it through the page. And I do little broadcasts on Saturday evenings from 5 to 7, Sunday evenings from 7 to 9. Saturday evenings, I do a little Northern Soul show, the Saturday Social, Northern Soul Motown, Soul Mod, that sort of thing. And uh, Sunday evenings, something called Smooth Sailing, which is uh, Yacht Rock. It, it's as calm as the other one isn't really. Yacht Rock, um, M.O.R., classic pop, easy listening, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so we do that from seven till nine and uh, just kind of glide out of one week and into another. And now um, to play us out, a duo about whom it could be said they were I don't know, maybe 50 years ahead of their time, Jules. Mm-hmm absolutely um i was uh, a huge fan of them um i had the pleasure of seeing the silver apples um it would have been about oh it would have been three years ago now because it was in the run-up to the 2017 general election if i remember correctly an unusually balmy light in in april or may i think it was incredibly hot upstairs in the print works where i saw them uh my favorite friends band ye nuns supported and then the silver apples headlines um they were um a sort of a duo that uh, started in the late 60s using 40s audio oscillators founded by a simeon cox um and uh, the drummer Danny Taylor joined him and he said besides the drummer who later joined me no one else in the band was amused by the synthesizers and in the end uh, everyone else left apart from him and Danny Taylor they changed the name from the Overland Stage Electric Band to Silver Apples um, and they had nine audio oscillators and 96 manual controllers that they pieced <laughs> together partly from a discarded second world war equipment they were like you say they were a synthesizer band two or three decades before they were really synthesizer bands uh they uh, brilliantly released their debut album in 68 on the same record label cap as sunny and Cher and burt Bacharach, although they were quite in the same musical area they did get to um 193 on the billboard uh, albums chart uh, the music website pitchfork you might be familiar with it held it as one of the best albums of the decade and a harbinger good things to come um they sort of came to a stop and they didn't really go anywhere for a bit but then in later years bands like portishead and uh, stereo lab were big fans of theirs apparently john lennon's son sean once told simeon cox that he was a, a fan and uh, they uh, they sort of made a bit of a comeback i mean in their sort of lost years uh simeon cox drove an ice cream truck in Alabama, worked for uh, various regional TV stations um, and uh, and basically they um, uh, record labels couldn't, you know, wouldn't release their albums and he said, I thought if I can't be a silver apple then I don't want to play music. But um, there was an unexpected sort of resurgence of them in the 90s and they got a new member called Zion Hawkins. Um, 
I just can't believe how they how they kept going. Simeon Cox broke his neck in a car crash in 1998 and still kept on performing. Um, and actually, when I saw him perform, he was one silver apple, unfortunately, because uh, uh, Taylor, the drummer, died of a heart attack in 2005. But uh, Simeon Cox sampled his drumming and would use it in live performances. So it was like he was still there. And it was it was very moving to see Simeon perform. He was sort of in his late 70s by that point. You know, this kind of white-haired old man, essentially, would come out surrounded by synthesizers and sequences and just pump out these techno bangers for sort of you know but um i will always remember that gig i love the silver apples like you say really ahead of their time their last album that he released uh, clinging to a dream in 2016 was lovely and i have um i think i've picked something from that because i just it, i I've, we, i think i've picked a, i picked the wonder song on here before but um I just, I just, I'm so sorry to hear of Simeon's passing this week at the age of, of 82. My friends, the nuns that play with him, said that he really was the nicest man and a pleasure to work with. So, so I am sorry for his passing, but I'm so glad that he's left us this, uh, this lovely record behind. So this feels apt for him going and also for where we all find ourselves at the moment, really. Uh, from, from Clinging to a Dream by Silver Apples, this is Missing You.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>